How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, theys, thems, enbies, and everyone, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yeah. Tom, I am so grateful for that introduction. That's really great. Um, do you want to just remind people how we came up there? Because we've been saying, ladies and gentlemen, for a long time, and then we got called out on it. Yeah, well, I, I think called out sounds harsh. We, we were given a note. Uh, we had Ramey Marks on to talk about, you know, the, the upsurge in anti-LGBTQ hate coming around yeah. the country. And one subtle thing that reinforces the only two genders, everyone else doesn't exist thing was just subtle things like ladies and gentlemen, which we don't even think about. Didn't even think about. And I was so grateful uh, that they called us out on it. And, and I know call us out sounds like it's harsh, but, but you know what? It, it's not harsh if it's real. Yeah. And they were right. They were absolutely right. And so we have immediately adapted because we appreciate it. And really what it says is we know that was our I am. It was the best we could do. But somebody said, you may want to make a small change and have a big effect. And we have. So I truly appreciate it. We haven't been in live in studio for a while. How have you been doing, Tom? I've been doing great, Dr. Joe. I just spent a week in a place I've never been and will be there again. San Juan, Puerto Rico. My God, it is. I highly recommend it. That is incredible. Why do you recommend it? Perfect temperatures, perfect food, great people. Only rainforest in the United States is El Yunque rainforest. About a half hour drive, about a half hour drive from San Juan. Great swimming, bio bay, these bioluminescent plankton you can see at night. And uh, yeah, the only only downside is for people watching live on Facebook, you'll see me playing and you'll see my webcam bobbing up and down. That is because I believe the humidity warped my laptop screen. <laughs> so I'm applying pressure to the bottom corner to uh, make sure that all of the pixels are lit at the same time because it is getting quite vexing. And there we go. Wow, is it vexing or vectoring? I suppose either one. It's a pixel. Either one. Joke. Either one. It's it's. Oh. Oh. I'll get it. Well, I'll get it. I I know I know I shouldn't say this, but you know that. It costs $2.30 for a piece of pie in San Juan and $3.30 for a piece of pie in the Dominican. Those are the pirates of the Caribbean. I can't wait for the sequel, Dr. Joe. Thank you. Yeah, so true. But you were far away, and our guest from tonight is far away, and we are so grateful because he's in a totally different time zone. Tom, could you please introduce our guest for tonight? Well, absolutely, Dr. Joe. I believe you may have met him. He's a podcaster, campaigner, producer, and model, and host of the Mental Podcast to destigmatize mental health. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show, Bobby Temps. Yeah, delighted to be here. Welcome, Bobby. And you're you're calling all the way in from Edinburgh. You told us. Yes, usually live in Dublin. Currently in Edinburgh visiting family, um, but yeah, 
it's it's midnight in either place. So uh, I said to you off air, um, I'm running on adrenaline, but delighted to be here. Well, we are so appreciative. And yeah, Tom had alluded that, that you and I knew each other before. Do you want to tell folks a little bit about how you and I connect? Sure. So I previously interviewed you on my podcast, Mentor, the podcast to destigmatize mental health. And you were a wonderful guest on that, where you shared a lot of your insights around the IM approach. And uh, we got into a really interesting discussion, which kind of links even to what you mentioned there in the intro around like the importance of language, because I think both of us are similar nerds on mental health and how language can be such a factor in stigma. And uh, the only thing I would add to your intro there was when you talked about being called out. I've got a mate called Artie that does a lot of campaigning around LGBT, particularly trans matters. And they love to use the term calling in because it's a way to kind of shift the focus on that. So rather than be like, you're wrong, you're an outsider, it's, oh, come over here to where the more progressive languages. That is a terrific distinction. Thank you so much for that. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, I really appreciate it. it. <laughs> totally, totally. And it's, it's funny, you know, how these words that we use, they, they have such impact. We don't, we don't always realize it because we're so used to them. So I appreciate being called in. I really appreciate being included in the group. Thank you. Thank it's you. wonderful. So, Bobby, you, you have been doing a, a, remarkable, a remarkable piece of work helping to destigmatize this thing we call mental illness, which now people at least are starting to call mental health a little bit more. How did you get into this? Sure. So a lot of it did draw on my personal experience, which I think can be said for a lot of people that work in the mental health space. And for me, I, from a young age, struggled with my mental health. In particular, that was along the lines of depression. And growing up as a kid, having this kind of sadness, this emptiness feeling inside me that I didn't have the language for. I had really very little awareness for a long time and sort of did this, um, went through this process that I think all of us do as we grow up of figuring out what is a just me thing and what is an everyone thing. And for a long time, it, it did feel like a sort of intense loneliness was the sort of nearest emotion I knew how to articulate. And, you know, thinking I'm, I must be alone in this. And when I articulate sadness around adults without a uh, explanation, then uh, it wasn't always responded to that well. So, you know, in all these little ways, I learned like so many people and often particularly as, as men, we are encouraged to learn to push these things down. Um, and so like is often the case, it wasn't until much later on and indeed when things got much worse that then I got the help and the diagnosis that started to make a lot more sense of my past. So that was kind of where a lot of the interest started. And then in getting some really great support and working on myself. I also got to see, you know, what I love to highlight, which is the positive sides of overcoming mental ill health, of all the, the skills you can learn in order to look after yourself and then in turn look after others. And the perspective it can give you, like the empathy for 
how tough life can be for for so many people and you know what we see on the outside not really being the full story and yeah and so long story short that's where the podcasting came along as a way to give back and hopefully inspire others to, to have the conversations and to have the kind of the terminology and the language and the information that I didn't have um, when I really could have done with it. Yeah, and to carry on that part of the conversation, what big differences in the progress of language in the last decade or so do you think makes the most difference? Sure, there's a lot. and. One of the most exciting things is to see how seamlessly a lot of young people have integrated like the progression of language, like Dr. Joe mentioned about like the terms mental health and mental illness. And there too that I, I can be quite pernickety with on the show because I think there is an important distinction. And sometimes people can have a fear of talking about mental illness and so won't even say it. And as, as someone that was around, uh, that grew up uh, needing more mental health conversations than I had, I'm always going to be an advocate for have the conversations and use the proper terminology. Um, and so, you know, things are moving forward. One of the, the ones that's definitely moved forward a lot in, even in my lifetime is people talking about dying by suicide as opposed to committing suicide which had connotations to do with when that was a, a crime and hence the term, the word committed. Um, and so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these things are moving on, but still be, when there can be a lack of conversation, when there can be stigma, people can fall back into stigmatizing language. And so, yeah, the mission, the mission is ongoing, but delighted to be doing my bit. There is a lot. How do we actually use humor is a huge part really and sometimes of addressing stigma mm-hmm. you know because a lot of people think you know they can't those people can't appreciate humor yeah because it kills the mood the idea that just talking about it kills the mood or brings down the conversation mm-hmm. right yeah okay. we, what do you we think, actually it, well, it's funny that you you bring this up because the episode of Mental that went out yesterday was about comedy as a factor in mental health. And I often do interview comedians for this reason because there, there can be such links and such power in putting people at ease in what can be like difficult and sensitive topics through humor and associating those like positive feelings of laughter with what can otherwise be quite a scary conversation. And yet, you know, I say all that And it did take me a while, even through my work, to get comfortable with making jokes relating to mental health, because like we've said, you want to get the language right, you don't want to say the wrong thing. But there's, if you're coming from a a good place with it, and particularly if you're drawing on your own experience and and drawing your humour from that, as opposed to maybe assuming experiences that other people might have for for your comedy, then I think that has been the way to go with that. And so now I really enjoy getting to talk to um, people in, a, in the broadest way that we can have like emotional moments, we can have fun moments, and that's all reflective of the human experience and honest, because you talk to people that have been through the darkest with their mental ill health, and oftentimes there can be humour there. 
and the humor is how you show that you are moving past it and that you are bigger than it and mm-hmm. laughing at our pain can actually be so healing yeah am i hearing you right when you say mental ill health is that the phrase you use mental health mental ill how are you referring to this yeah well i think we even talked about this on my show a little bit because i i think it's important to get that distinction partly also because just language um and it doesn't necessarily always make sense so like we we sometimes have like guests on the show where they might say something like um i was treated really badly because i had so much mental health and Mm. The reality is the mental health is the one that you want. Mental illness or mental ill health is the one that you want to work through um, and get support with. And so part of it is just that. And like I said earlier, sometimes people will will shy away from certain terminology because of stigma in lieu of accuracy. And I may be more militant than some people would be. Uh, There's a lot of podcasts out there that are very kind of well-being and you know go for go for a run and everything will be solved and that can be some people's story but i'm not going to pretend that that works for everyone and so i i like us to be really really direct with the realities of mental illness and also the hope whether it's through humor or whether it's through stories of recovery so where do you think the stigma comes from why is there stigma at all a lot of it unfortunately starts really young that we we don't know better and you know even those of us who are well-meaning can still internalize a lot of stigma because it's it's out there in the air you know so if you combine a lack of conversation with media representation of mental illness which is inaccurate or limited or of oftentimes very directly stigmatizing you know how often is mental illness used as uh, a way to explore criminality um, mm. or um, uh, kind of villainesque characters, you know, right down to like uh, kids' cartoons. Um, and that sort of stuff does have an effect um, in the same way that, you know, representation is important across the board. Like the other day, I was watching The Adam Project on Netflix, and it's a wonderful film. But I did wonder to myself, why does the body have to have a facial disfigurement? Something that can can be uh, that people can have a lot of self consciousness of because of how people are, can can treat you and uh, treat you differently based on your appearance. And then you've got potentially media that can be furthering that for people and creating an association of that difference is bad. That difference indicates they're a body. So do you, I think we had this discussion also a little bit on your show, the the connection between stigma and trust or mistrust. Do you think that there's something there about trust? In in what sort of sense? Well, think about, you know, what what is stigma, right? I mean, we we talked about this, how words are important. In, In the United States, and I think in other, other places, when we talk about somebody who has something psychiatric going on, we call it a disorder. You have major depressive disorder. You have attention deficit disorder. You have post-traumatic stress disorder, as if it's a disorder 
to have trauma after a stressful incident. It's like, what are you talking about? And this, this separates people into these groups. I mean, in the same way that you say, instead of calling out, it's calling in. It's saying, you're part of my group. Be part yeah. of my group. And in, in disorder, we're saying, no, 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 no. Uh, you're, you're in that group, not my group, because I'm ordered and you're not. Con contributing to Sigma? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I remember us talking about that on, on my show. In particular, I think we use PTSD as an example where really the differentiator on that condition and, and meeting the diagnostics criteria is more to do with when you drill down on it, what traumas you've been through. It's not actually anything about the response because PTSD, much of how that condition works is a, an innate trauma response in us in order to help us cope and get through incredibly intense stress so we can move past it and hopefully not live in that state of fear. And now of course we can be triggered by certain things that bring us back into that fear but the fact that we are not living in it constantly is partly because of these mechanisms we have innate in us. And so the mechanisms working isn't a disorder. That's how we are, and that's for good reason. And so really the differentiator was, did you have traumas significant enough or severe enough in some kind of metric to cause that? You having the ability to develop PTSD is part of who we are. And I, and I think that does link to your trust point, um, absolutely, because we can so often fear what feels different, what feels unfamiliar. And we can also fear what does feel familiar. You know, that can go both ways. So we can other people for difference and treat them differently, but also you'll notice that when we can relate to things, we can want to push back against it. So maybe somebody being open about their mental illness and you seeing parts of your own experience in that, that you're busy pushing down, well, that person talking about it openly is making your stuff bubble up. And so maybe you are gonna be hostile or you're gonna move away and ignore that person because there's stuff you're not working on. And I would you know, add to that because you fear that you will be judged. So you are succumbing to the stigma as well, because that's yeah. what it comes down to, right? Is, is you're being judged. You're not good enough. You have less value, whether it's mental health or socioeconomic or the color of your skin. This is part of what stigma is, is all about. It's this idea that we're going to separate you out of our group. Terrifying. And for me, that's one of the scariest things about really any form of discrimination when it can be so widespread and so possible to internalize partly because of that, then it's kind of delegated at a certain point that even in situations where people could have talked about their mental health or should have felt accepted uh, for whatever kind of ways they might have felt different, they may still hold back because this stuff is in us, we soak it up like a sponge, particularly at a young age. And then we're kind of, it's, it's like it's delegated in the same way, you know, it's, it's scary to think that, you know, people could be, people are still living in fear relating to like 
sexuality or relating to the color of their skin in many situations because of the, the societal context and the horrible discrimination that can still be widespread in a lot of contexts. And then it almost feels like the people that would seek to oppress have delegated the oppression to your own mind when we internalize that. And maybe you won't feel comfortable to, to go out and live a normal life in the same way. Hmm. And yeah, that is the stuff that's scariest for me and I guess relates the most to my work to do with the mind and, and how we all uh, get better at understanding ourselves and get nicer to ourselves and others. How do we do that? How do we begin to step back and understand ourselves a little bit better? Well, I think I'm forever saying that there's far more you, that unites us than divides us. And I'm in the privileged position as a podcaster where I get to, to live that. And, you know, I think that's one of the wonderful things about having, you know, broad conversations with brilliant guests like yourself, where absolutely we always talk about the, the core themes, but then through that comes all these other elements. And a lot of it is about understanding difference as something that is essential that I hate the concept of being normal because it's oppressive, but also it's ridiculous because the, the closest thing I can really think that that means is average. You know, this crowdsourced fantasy that there is a way to be a, a standard human and then you will be accepted. And so much comes in our way with that. So many things happen in our life and we are all distinct, unique individuals. And that's, what makes us wonderful. And that is also wonderful, but also unavoidable. So average is not something I want, and average is not something I'm also capable of. And therefore instead, what ways can we understand who we really are? What really makes us tick? Yeah. Find ways to empathize with the person that we are. And with some practice on that, it does get easier doing that with other people. And we're so appreciative that you're here, Bobby. One of the things that, that you are really spearheading is a campaign that's going to destigmatize mental health, but starting in our schools. Can you tell us about that? It's such a great idea. Sure. It's one of these things where it's really quite a straightforward aim. And we were saying just to be outbreak there, how baffling it is that mental health education isn't already a core part of the curriculum. Um, for, for the vast majority of the world and so um, now I'm based in Dublin but I'm still continuing the campaign I started it when I was living in the UK and so the idea was to get mental health education on the compulsory curriculum for all schools and that is not as, as some people maybe assume like adding it as a separate subject whether it be like tests and exams and the the increased stress that can come from adding more of those Instead, it would be incorporating it into what's often referred to as PH, PSHE. Um, so the, the kind of or form time. So the time with um, a teacher that like does your register and checks everyone's in in the morning. And then that's also where um, there's oftentimes talk about particularly sex ed is the main thing associated with that, that period of the uh, timetable in the UK. And so it seemed like there was such an opportunity there to include 
something that is so relevant to the lives of young people and I can I can of course attest to that personally as someone who went through my entire education without a single mention of mental health and physical health was of course hugely covered with PE and you know that was both in a practical sense and also talking about why we need to keep our bodies healthy um, I did food tech and learned about healthy food and healthy eating and nothing, nothing about our mental health. And, you know, I, I could have done with that. That was, you know, that was my biggest struggle through school. It wasn't trigonometry, which I don't ask me what that is now. <laughs> because <laughs> I've not been using it. I do not know. And so that that's really where the idea came from. It was it was a very personal thing. And the more I worked on the podcast, the more I saw this trend backed up with so many of my guests. And so that's where the podcast was a way to, to push this campaign through our listenership. And we passed uh, at this point over 200,000 signatures, got it to uh, 10 Downing Street, where the prime minister's based. And mental health education is now on the curriculum for all schools in England and Wales. So it's still working on Scotland, wow. still working on Northern Ireland. But yeah, even just saying out loud, it's, it's so surreal. I know some friends of mine that have kids and they're learning a curriculum that I was involved with making exist. Marcus. That's incredible. I, I had no idea. Was it, I saw the picture of you in front of 10 Downing Street. It's, it's very cool. <laughs> Um, so it's actually part of the curriculum now in England? Yes, and it went live in September 2020. So something positive came out of that year. And so, yeah, I was involved in the, uh, not only, you know, pushing for that to happen, but also advising on what the curriculum would include. So I got to see a lot of the early drafts of, um, you know, what, what the sort of, the outline was going to be and give feedback on that. And as you would assume, based on our conversations over, a lot of that was, okay, let's make sure to include proper language. There was, the first draft was a lot of calling everything well-being, which is a broad and wonderful term, but there is also specific terms that need to be used. Um, and so there was, there was that and a lot of things that I was able to give feedback on. And then, yeah, so from September 2020, the curriculum started rolling out. And so every child in England and Wales will learn this. And not only, you know, once, but really integrated, including in primary school, which was one of the things that were, that at times there was some backlash because there can be these stigmatizing attitudes of, it being somehow sort of like mentally contagious. Like if you tell people about a mental illness, they'll somehow have it. That's, well, that's just part of English, English slang, isn't it? Just to say mental. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I sort of have reclaimed a lot of that stuff now because I feel like I hopefully have enough tact to use it in context that makes sense. But um, yeah, it's, it's very mainstream, this kind of language and we sort of take for granted um, that as a normalized part of the language and don't necessarily think what that might be to hear and so it's really wonderful to think that young people are, are going in learning you know s such incredible tools 
not only of like recognizing what's wrong, but where can they get the help? Who can they speak to? And yeah, it's oh, so exciting. So, so how old are the kids when they're they're first uh, learning this? Primary, so like eight, nine years old, or uh, so it would be towards the end of primary school. So um, that is when you're uh, eleven. Usually, you leave primary okay. school. Um, and so the, the last few years and so that stuff is more um, kind of broad around really emotions and you know teaching kids from a young age that like there aren't good emotions or bad emotions they're all a part of you and they, they need to be expressed and understood there's conversations around you know if you're feeling feeling sad more than usual you know talking to an adult about that so stuff that is is incredibly kind of non-threatening and stuff that you'd expect a lot of parents are having those conversations at home anyway and then through secondary education then there's there's more specifics in terms of these are common mental illnesses these are some of the signs these are some of the things to watch out for in yourself and, and also you know how to look after your friends um, and then also additional modules that can be added for, for certain schools. So like eating disorders, there's a, additional information where those topics can go really into depth. Um, the same with addiction. Um, if particular schools are, are finding a really high prevalence. You know, one of the things that, that um, I read that he'd written um, was looking at Romeo and Juliet mm -hmm. um, and how <laughs> sort of dismiss this suicide right mm -hmm. we just sort of say yeah you know they were in love and they, they they couldn't get together so they killed themselves um i i think that's such a profound insight that that you talk about are are the kids learning about that i mean because you know we read the english language we read all this great literature but we don't always do a deep dive into the psychology behind it is there something for the older kids that maybe they can start doing that? Yeah, so the there definitely is conversations around uh, suicide prevention included in the curriculum. Um, it's trickier when it gets into sub other subjects. So, you know, that would then be uh, working on the English curriculum was uh, is mostly where you're learning about Shakespeare or potentially drama. Um, however, we're already seeing like how wonderful the effect can be of this education being there at all so not only do the kids you know hear the information even if it's not always following along at the, at the times when certain things are being discussed with other classes um but the effect can still very much be there that they're still learning it even if it's separate at times and also the, the ethos of the schools develop because so many of the teachers have to go through training in order to be teaching this new curriculum. So then they have a better awareness and are more likely to bring up these conversations or, you know, answer questions, which no doubt a lot of kids who are very inquisitive would have questions about, for example, the, the ending of Romeo and Juliet. And so we can already see how teachers are feeling more empowered and confident to know how to handle those conversations. Wonderful. I mean, it really is. That was such a profound insight. I mean, we, we dismiss so much of this violence as well and the violence towards oneself and, and the, the anguish that must be 
experience in order to do that, to hurt oneself in that way or to hurt other people. Um, Tom, I, I just want to bring this back to you because in terms of stigma, were you growing up with that as well, given what was going on with you? I think there wasn't enough awareness of uh, around kids my age of like my condition to even for there to even be stigma, uh, which had its own obstacles because you know without even that knowledge it's just like oh there's just something wrong with you it's all uh it's all your choices uh which is partly true like i you know like i i i mentioned it before i was an annoying kid but i think education at an earlier age goes a long way to just skip the stigma entirely but but do you think you were annoying knowing you were annoying or annoying, sort of oblivious to being annoying? I think it was 50-50, sort of a, a catch-22, where it's like, I was so frustrated at how uh, how much I alienated people that it became my default state. Like, I didn't know how else to behave. Yeah. So instead of, of having alienation happen to you, you took charge and just created it. I suppose so. Fair? Yeah, uh, is it fair? No, but you're right. Like, I think I think it became sort of a vendetta against the world. Like, yeah, I was a I was a pretty cliche angsty teen. I mean, we see this a lot. You know, that, that some people will create a situation in which it will be abandoned because at least they're in control of that. You you've had a lot of different guests on your show. You've had how oh, two hundred plus podcasts now, or what? If, and this is going to be a difficult question, but what what have you learned from these folks? Where where are we headed with this? The the, the brains that you have coming on to chat about it. What are you sure. learning? Yeah, no big question. I'm there's there's a few ways I can answer that. I mean, for me, you know, starting most personally, the, there was a lot I learned, particularly in the very early stages of the show, that relate to things like internal stigma. There were certain things I, I didn't realize needed unpicking with me because I'd imagined myself as someone that was open talking about mental health and, and would be an appropriate listening ear in all contexts. And actually, you know, starting the show, I had to realize there were certain things I was holding back talking about more than I realized. Um, and even it was through... Uh, it, it was through the show, actually, that I realized I had an eating disorder. And, you know, part of that was getting to, to be the representation of like broader um, than the stereotypes representation of mental illness. And, you know, realizing how much that was lacking for me growing up, you know, not just like we've said about there not being the conversations at all, but then even when they are there, um, you know, there can still be stereotypes that, that sneak in. And so for me, I, you know, I couldn't tell you a single male that I knew of that had an eating disorder, um, you know, in the media or personally growing up. And so that was a part of why I, I didn't see those traits in myself. Um, so, you know, there's been a, there's been a lot of personal learning alongside, um, you know, what I've been able to, to kind of platform with the guests. And 
you know, I hope that is something that they're, well, I know that's something that the listeners connect to, that we're honest on the show about the realizing, you know, all the time that there's always more that we can know. And I love being a part of that for the listeners of sharing, you know, so many incredible guests and you do, you do see through lines, you do see hope, you do see how often there's parallels in different people's experiences, even if the context, you know, where they're from, what their family were like, certain things they went through, you know, we, we are there to constantly remind people that, you know, there's stereotypes of all things, you know, the stereotypes of PTSD, like we talked about earlier, but there can be a million different ways, different traumas that contribute to that condition. Um, so yeah, it's a very broad learning process and therefore a broad answer to your question. And, and the beginning of your show, can you just tell our audience about how your shows begin? Sure. Um, so every episode starts with um, me and usually my co-host, but we're going through some changes at the moment, uh, introducing the guest and theme. So every theme relates to mental health and some of them are a particular condition and a lot of them are, are different broader factors. So like I mentioned, comedy was uh, this week's episode and we've recently like, covered body image. We've recently talked about body dysmorphia. Um, we, we talk about so many different topics and, you know, it's, there are a lot of elements of the show that sort of, uh, the format kind of proves its own, uh, purpose in battling the stigma that people will joke to me of like it's you can really relate anything to mental health can't you and I'm like ah that, that's the point you're getting <laughs> I'm not on the show saying it we're showing it through just the breadth of the themes and you know just how much these conversations aren't being had you know we we've done like episodes on sleep and we know that there's the link between mental health and sleep and yet you know, for a lot of people, this can be the first time they've ever heard it discussed in any depth. And so, yeah, I, I love getting to do that. Also, another thing that's kind of, you know, subtle but powerful within the format is when, we, when we've introduced the guest, we get them to share an early experience related to mental health, which you're nodding, you remember. Um, and we don't, we actually, here's some behind the scenes, we don't generally brief the guest on that before we have them on the show so you being told on the day is is purposeful because I think sometimes people can want to have a really sort of like analytical and storytelling answer and, and the reality is that you know often the the links of how our childhood influences us just they really show themselves and many a guest comes off the mic and says you know I've never gone through and you know started so early with the chronology and you know now I do see like oh certain traits and, and how early things started um, and of course it relates to the stigma often guests do talk about well you know I had these symptoms but I didn't know what they were or you know I had a family member that was struggling with mental illness but we didn't talk about it and there's there's a lot to be said for for going in at that level that you can be you know have the most incredible psychiatrist on the show we we all have where we started off yeah no I, I i recall that's why i was hoping you would you would talk about that how can people access your show so that they can listen because folks i'm telling you it was it was a wonderful wonderful interview with bobby 
with Bobby, with Bobby. Um, it was it was really great. And yes, uh, I would love people to be able to go from our podcast over to yours so they can listen. How can they listen to yours? Sure. So the easiest thing is either wherever you listen to podcasts to, to search my name, Bobby Tanks, um, and all my work will come up that way and also other podcasts I've been on. Um, or you can go to mentalpodcast.co.uk. And not only will the show be on there, but there's also resources if, if you want to reach out and get support yourself and uh, general information. And there's also links to the petition as well, because people from anywhere in the world can sign up. That's terrific. Yes, please, folks, go to that site and sign that petition because we need our kids to understand who they are and why they do what they do. You know, and that it's it's nothing to hide. It's a matter of fact, something to share so that we can all be on your side and with you. With that in mind, the I am approach, as you know, has four domains, the home domain, the social domain, the biological domain, and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. Because the four domains interconnect, a small change can have a big effect. Bobby, regarding the stigma that we're talking about, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? A small change relating to the stigma. I think, you know, so often it can be the toughest, but also the most important thing to start with ourselves and examine the ways in which we are treating ourselves. And, you know, whether that's internalized stigma, whether that's just, you know, the ways that we can have this negative self-talk in our heads or somebody gives us a compliment and we debate whether or not the compliment is accurate and you know I've been doing this kind of work long enough that I can really spot it in people um, and a lot of that is you know going to counseling myself um, but you know that's that's not always the case you know all of us can like we said soak up stigma can soak up you know negative thoughts and feelings towards ourselves that do hold us back getting help and hold us back in general and so I would always recommend, you know, try and start with you and just, just find something, anything to work on it, you know? You can start off with, okay, I want to get better at when somebody compliments me, I say thank you and I try and believe them. That's because they, they, people aren't here making compliments out of malice. <laughs> and finally, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence. Bobby Temps, 30 seconds or less. What kind of influence do you want to be? Well, mental health education for, for everyone. That's, that's my whole game. <laughs> that's great. Bobby, thanks so much, folks. Appreciate you being with us tonight. We'll be back next week with the Dr. Joe Show. Tom, always a pleasure. Just to show